ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit. Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to yet another Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below... Thank you for joining us yet on another ride through the through the through the twisting winding roads of mental health issues and and where we can have some real raw talk about things that are going on in our lives and and make you our, make ourselves feel a lot less alone in the world. Uh, today is a very special episode for uh, Tim and I. We have a special, special interview coming up in a, in a few seconds. Uh, it is with Jacques Equier, and Jacques is the is the CEO and founder of the organization called Four S for Life, and it's the number four. the The capital letter S is in strength, the number four, and then the word life with a capital L. And uh, they have the .com for that. And those four S's stand for strength, struggle, sacrifice, and survival. So that's pretty awesome. He's got an amazing story. He's never at a loss for words. Uh, We had a great conversation both on the air, off the air. He is a great dude. We cannot wait to introduce you to him if you have not heard of him. He did some amazing stuff here in the area um, during the pandemic where he was feeding the front lines and he had a food pantry set up in Queensbury, New York, and he was feeding a lot of families um, that were that were having a hard time and struggling, and uh, he did a lot of work, and uh, I dropped off a bunch of food at, at the pantry at one point. I took a bunch of pictures, and I'll, I'll share them during the week after this episode. Uh, when this episode comes out tomorrow. So I hope you enjoy this interview, man. It was awesome to have, and we look forward to talking to him again in the future. So we hope you enjoy Jacques Equier. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Above Ground Podcast. Big Timmy, what's up, man? How are you doing this week? I'm okay. How are you, sir? I'm not doing too bad, buddy. I'm not doing too bad. We're we're on Zoom again, so we're we're together but apart. Because today we have an awesome person here with us. Um, I met this gentleman last year at uh, an American Foundation for Suicide Prevention walk when he spoke at the Hike for Hope, which was my first Hike for Hope. But he is the uh, he is the creator of Four S for Life. He has done so much in this community for during this COVID pandemic with feed the front lines and uh, the food pantry that he had opened in Queensbury. And I we are very very happy to have as a guest, Mr. Jacques Equier, right? I got it. Look at that. Not bad. bad. Wow. Jacques, thanks, man, for doing this. How are we doing this morning? All right. Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, just hanging in there. Had a nice day uh, by the pool yesterday with some family relaxing, you know, taking some, some much needed time off um, from my. Yeah. Can you go ahead? I, I, sorry to interrupt you. Can you give us an update about what's happening? As far as your the feed the front lines of food bank yeah. and um well you know all told stuff. uh the feed the uh, food bank itself came out uh, we just started a community store for those who don't know this happened uh, as soon as the pandemic started to come into play full force everything was shutting down people were you know losing jobs getting laid off so on and so forth and we were out and about and we heard a lot of people especially senior citizens saying how when they went to the stores they were getting pushed aside 
Uh, they couldn't get the things that they needed. They were afraid to go to stores. Um, so I took it upon myself to start taking donations in as we are a, a forest, forest for Life is a, a nonprofit, 501c3 nonprofit organization. And I started raising money and we put the seed money into it. We started with $350 um, and people started donating. And we opened a store up in Uno's restaurant. A good friend of mine, Lisa Michelle Uno, gave me her banquet space because she couldn't use it. Um, I went out and did the shopping every day, sometimes four and five trips to the grocery store. And we stocked the store with everything except for perishables. Uh, everything that you could possibly think of, hand sanitizer, toilet paper, every kind of dry good. We set up a store and we made it so senior citizens and low income families that really needed that boost could come in and shop safely, securely once a week and just get what they needed just to survive. That's awesome. And I have some pictures that I'll, I'll post up on the site that I had taken the day I was there. Cause I was there, uh, not yeah. that long ago. Um, and, uh, it was awesome. I was, uh, and it was just because I wanted to see it and I wanted to drop off some stuff. Cause that's the one thing that this is kind of brought up, um, this, the, the mental health community and just the community in general, you realize that community is more important now than ever yet. It's hard to find these days. So I, I wanted to start sort of at that point where you're at as to where does food insecurity and the insecurity that is going on play into mental health and that and that sense of purpose and that and that sense of purpose for people who may not be in your position that are actually receiving the services and not actually providing the services like well I, and i know that that's a pretty heavy question that we could probably pick apart for days but it no i mean you brought up you brought up a, a good, good place to start I think our reaction when people when they first started coming in to they found out we obviously got it on social media um a lot of the news outlets reached out it was great uh we did a, a bunch of stories that was on i think every channel i mean everything was out there and people started to come in and they were just amazed a lot of them were just blown away uh the stories of destitution of just poverty of uh despair some of these people came in, had four or five kids, both parents without jobs, trying to figure out how to pay their rent and do grocery shopping and do, you know, so, you know, a lot of them came in, they, a few people cried. I, you know, I couldn't hug anybody, unfortunately at the time, but just, you know, it felt, I took a lot on in the first, I think that it was the first week or week, uh, first weekend, I sat down and did a live video after I had, we had helped out, I don't know, maybe 150 families. And I got to the end of the, live chat or live feed and i broke down it was just because i you know you, you take it all on um but in general and that in that three-month time frame we actually helped so people know 1200 over 1200 families 350 senior citizens uh we did five backpack programs for the school we hit code blue shelter in saratoga we went all the way to saratoga county code blue shelter i helped uh, karen gregory out with three um three big orders of uh, supplies. And we also supplied an Easter dinner to the, uh, the homeless at the hotel there on uh, the Holiday Inn. So we hit it on multifaceted, you know, multifaceted fronts. Um, and you alluded to like feeding the front lines. Um, I'm a little off your question, but I'll get back to it. Uh, feeding the front lines, what that was, was an initiative to, um, with donations from individuals and, and businesses, we would uh, take money from them donated and go to small restaurants that were suffering, help them stay afloat by ordering food from their establishments, and then in turn going to first responder staffs and feeding those people that were quote unquote on the front lines. So we did over 105 first responder staff. 
We're talking police. Wow, yeah. wow. We're talking police. That's awesome. Police, uh, Hudson Headwater staffs, uh, nursing home, you name it. Whoever called up and nominated, we just we, we put it together. The restaurants loved it. You know, we were, we were keeping them afloat at the same time. Um, it was it was just a, a great concept. You know, it was like wow, we can help all these different people under one umbrella. It felt great. Um, exhausting, yes, but. <laughs> it was a little exhausting, but um, no, to get back to what you were saying, uh, I think any, everything, we all know somebody that is affected by mental health. I mean, that's the old adage. I mean, you know, we all know at least one person in our lives. Someone comes into our life that suffers from something, whether it be anxiety, depression, whether it be addiction, whether it be a uh, uh, survivor of bullying, whether it be uh, suicide attempts, depression, I mean, so on and so forth. So I think when the COVID came in, um, and then Cuomo shut everything down and I, I get it, I guess to the point of, okay, gut reaction. My problem with it is when you take people that are suffering from mental health, especially people that are in domestic violence situations, child abuse situations, yeah, absolutely. you know, absolutely. you just basically segregated them even more. And now you put them in their homes 24 seven with their abusers, you know, yes. and especially with the kids, because the people that report those cases are normally teachers. And without school, right. no one can even, the teachers can't right. even find these kids. I've had teachers tell me, like, we can't even locate some of these kids. That's scary. It is, yeah. Wow. That so is I think scary. that, you know, to shut everything down, start taking their jobs away, you know, hey, you know, you can't go out in public, you can't visit with family, you can't do that. I think that anyone that's already dealing with a mental issue, that's just going to emotionally and mentally crush them. But people that don't know how to react to it, now all of a sudden face that dilemma of now I'm anxious all the time. I'm having panic attacks. Now you get into depression. Now if it's an addict that's in recovery or sobriety, they want that other drink. They want that next fix. It, it affected people in such a negative way across the board. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I can't speak from my personal experience because this has been helpful right. to me on my journey because it's allowed me a chance to take a step back, but I've been working the whole yeah. time. And I also didn't have to worry about a paycheck just like Timmy did. So it, it's a little different if I, I mean, obviously if I had to stress about being, having what the worst part of it has been watching my daughter and watching my daughter's anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, and granted as somebody who suffers from major depressive disorder, like I do and, and has anxiety issues as it is, I, I probably didn't help. I, we probably don't help that either. But I did notice it's like the you realize that once your community thing is is kind of thrown off, it, it throws the whole thing off, and it, it can send you into many different directions that go that go down really quick. Now, when it comes to the education system, because we we talk about the education system a lot, Tim and I do on the show. Where do you, do you? I mean, what do you think is like something that we can do to to help? to help get mental health even more for in the forefront in the education system. I know New York state has done some stuff, but I, I, we never can do no. enough. So it's, I think honestly that it should be part of the curriculum. I mean, nowadays, look at how many people, how many millions of people suffer from mental health. I mean, that should be part of that curriculum, part of your, you know, your generic health class that wants to go show you the, you know, the girl and boy and, you know, the mating tape, you know, the ones that we watched in, in, in school and, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth, you know, ninth, tenth grade. Mental health should be a huge thing. I mean, the numbers are astronomical, you know, of who. There you are. You're good. The, the numbers are. I'm sorry. Timmy didn't know. Timmy oh, I'm sorry. Himself. That's Does it, I'm sorry. Is it working now? No, you're good. You can hear I, me? Yeah, you're good. 
Okay. Yeah, you're good. Um, All right. I don't know. I you were just you were just <laughs> muted. <laughs> but no, I think it. I think it really should be. And I think one of the big things I want people to. I mean, at least what we do. And and again, I'm I'm a smaller, um, you know, nonprofit, obviously. And we're working our way up. We're making some good connections over the past couple uh, couple months. But um, you know, I think mental health is is very important. I mean, we started so when before the pandemic hit, we started support groups, free support groups in our community up here. And one of the big ones was a domestic violence group. Seems very odd that a man would lead a domestic violence group. I mean, let's be honest, most uh, victims are women. So I didn't know how this... Right, and most of their abusers exactly. are men. So I wasn't sure how this was going to go. So we ended up yes. starting it, and I think I had 12 women the first time, and then the following one was like 16 or something. And uh, anyway, so I stood up there and I said, you know, to you, the same thing I said to you and Tim, I said, um, you know, this is really odd that a man's up here, but I want you to know that there are men out here that genuinely do care about women, you know, about, you know, that there are nice guys out there, the old adage. And I would love to hear your side of the story because we hear the old adage. Why don't you leave? Why don't you take off? Why don't you escape? I want to hear what you go through as the person being victimized. So it helps to educate me so I can help educate others and where I can right, get them to right. help. Um, and these women just started amongst themselves sharing stories and then they turned to me and, and it was it was a very good open dialogue we were making such headway and then you know pandemic hit and that shut all my meetings down we had that we had a conscious men's group that we do which is my hashtag here it's called yeah man I up not that. shut up and what the, yeah we talk about that all the time yeah I we do that stuff yeah all you the know time. It, it's because that's about it man this is what we're doing this is why there needs to be more men that that can do this. I think it's being, I think it's opening, but I think we've got, oh, we do. We, go I also from, from people that I talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you were, you really hit something as far as conversation goes though, too. Like you need to, to have a conversation to find out what it is. The problem is, you know, and where to, where to start helping. Well, that's what we like to think. You know, when people ask me what the foundation does or what it's founded on, I say we're the starting point. You know, we have specialists on the board. We have, excuse me, a uh, substance abuse counselor. We have a psychologist. We have people in different fields. Come to us and just ask for help. Ask for some assistance. And just, you know, there's no shame in going and saying you need help. The biggest, baddest man on the planet, I'm sure Mike Tyson even needed mental health, you know, at some point. Okay. Oh, All he, right. did. he did. Yeah, his story, his exactly. story is, yeah. I mean, listen to him so tell there his is story. By, is now that is the so-called baddest man on the planet. So why other right. men can't? Absolutely. So the big thing with that conscious men's group was to teach men how to be vulnerable, to teach them how to accept their masculine energies and their feminine energies. And, and they look at me and they go, well, I don't have any feminine energies. I said, yeah, you do. That's the nurturing side. That's the loving, that's the deeper feeling side. It is there. We just don't allow it to come out because of the stigma that society places upon us to be the alpha right. male. I got to go to the gym and be 300 pounds with a beard and tattoos. And, you know, it's, it's just, <laughs> hey, listen, I got tattoos all over. But Will knows that. I'm covered in them. You know, I yeah. mean, but if you just, you know, the example I always use is if, say, if so we'll use my wife. And my wife went out with three girlfriends and they go out for a ladies' night. What do they talk about? They talk about their children, life, feelings, deeper things, commitment. They get into real life issues. Now, if there was me, you, Tim, and somebody else, what are we going to talk about at the bar? Sports? How cute the waitress's ass is? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Hunting, fishing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Surface, surface. Yeah, absolutely. Just guy, right, surface stuff. Now, and, but the thing is, is I think that conversation, though, if the three of us were together, 
would be oh, a yeah. lot I just, different yeah. than, <laughs> right, right. than yeah. the average well, people no, going no. to the bar. That would be the one that we're trying to shoot for is the three of us. But right, Because I, I will say this. This is the one thing that this path has led me on. It is actually one thing that I have learned is, is and it's hard, at least when it comes to asking people how they feel. I am really good with asking somebody else how they feel because I can tell it. When it comes to me, it's it's very hard, and I it's much easier for me to help somebody else than it is to help. Well, myself. I think that, that that's, that's always the case. I think that it's it's like anything else. The first step, the first step in your journey is always the toughest one. That's the old adage. So the first step is admitting that you need support. I'm not going to say help, assistance. I'm not going to say you have an issue because you know that, that stigma applies and you know, it's all of a sudden we're weird. We're odd. We're different. We're, no. Well, that's the problem. You, 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 you can start to absorb that you're like you are your diagnosis right. and that's, you, you can't, and no. that's not it. You're, you're not no. it. So to go in, that's what person, that's what person centered recovery is all about. Is that, is that it's not about your diagnosis. It's that you're a person first and then you have all these other things and then you are, maybe you have a label. Well, maybe. the thing is you, ha- you have to, it's all or, about self-love anyway. I mean, you have to love yourself obviously first and we all know. There it is, Will. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, I'm saying, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, like. No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. We, we talk about it all the time and even Will and I in our just day-to-day conversations, we'll, we'll talk about something and it goes back to that. And we're like, yeah, it always goes back to that. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Because we're so, we get so caught up as a society in worrying about what people think, you know, it's, it's just, you know, the only person you need to be honest, realistically honest, truthful, and, and prove something to is that person that you look in the mirror and see looking back at you. That's the only person you need. You don't need to worry about Joe Smith or Bill White or Sally Lowell. Doesn't matter what they think. I gave that, I gave that up a long time ago. I've always said to people, "This is me. This is who I am. If you don't like me, we're, this is us talking blatantly. Basically, f off. I don't care. I'm not changing. Yeah. I'm not changing for anybody. This is me. You don't have to hold. Okay. You I don't wasn't have to sure. hold some, back. Some some no, no. no. So yeah, basically, no. no it, it would be you know, and I and I said this to my wife. I say, you know what? Then fuck you. I'm not here to impress you. I'm not changing. And you know. I'm not, oh, I don't have the right answers. I don't have every right answer. You don't, Tim doesn't, we don't, but at least we're out there trying to make an effort no. through what we've been through. Now I know your story. You know, we talked about it and I don't know that Tim knows yes. what I've been through. So I just going to share that quick when I, cause I, I did. Yeah. Yeah. To you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We want you. I just but, wanted you to know that by the, way, the only thing that I, the only thing that I've learned to know is that I know way less than yeah. I ever knew. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to say, like, we need to actually like hang out, the three of us, because I like this dude, Will. I think he's on the same, same <laughs> wavelength as us, you know. And I think we could, if we could get together, uh, Will and I have a lot of ideas about things, and I, I think we could, if you know, another, another head involved could, um, could take it to that next step. For well, us. we're allowed to meet now. You can have up to fifty people. We don't need that many. We only need three. We just got to come right. up with a day at a time, and I'm, and, right. I'm, and I'm game. So. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I shared in a brief synopsis of what I went through. So I was bullied as a kid, you know, uh, I'd say third and fourth grade, two different, two different, uh, young men. Uh, and I was a straight A student, you know, I was a uh, basketball church going. My mother was Italian. So we did, you know, church going, uh, but I was literally chased home, stuffed in trash cans, spit on physically, you know, the whole gamut, um, which led to, as we start progressing a severe alcohol, I was going to a liter and a half of Southern comfort a day. Oh my gosh. Yeah, a wow. liter and a half a Jeez. day. And then we're talking right in that teenage, you know, teenage year. So I skipped right over pot because pot didn't do anything for me. So I jumped to the next one, which was cocaine. 
I had a heavy cocaine addiction. I've been clean from cocaine and drugs for 24 years now. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, nice man. job. Long journey, but <laughs> let me tell yeah, you. Sure. <laughs> it's uh, so, you know, in that whole realm, then, you know, losing my mother uh, started with the depression. I, I battled depression for Jesus, 25 years, lost my mom. She died at 47 years old from breast cancer. So, you know, here's your mom, the rock of the family, the matriarch. Uh, and yeah. that, that just, it almost, it almost it made me do a complete 180 as a human being. It was like, I just turned into who I am now. And that was, that was that turning point in life. Um, and then down the road over the last 10 years, um, I, you know, obviously tried to take my own life twice and my now wife stopped both attempts. So the only reason I'm still here wow. is my wife because she stopped both attempts. So that's pretty much when I say, wow. you know, and, and I said this to, to Will, I'm talking to Tim, but that's why when I, you know, I tell people I don't have a degree in psychology, psychiatry. What I have is life experience. I've lived the gamut of mental health yes. and I've come out the I other end. I love this man. And, I love this man. Yeah, exactly. And that's what yes. that, the best people to talk about are the people that have lived through it because we've experienced, we truly can say to you, I can say to Will right now and say, Will, I understand what you're going through. And he knows that I understand truly what he's going through. Absolutely. I love Just it. Like I can say it to Tim yeah. and Tim can say yeah. it to me and, and we can say it to, but I also noticed that me being able to say it to you guys has allowed me to see it in others. And that, that has opened up the conversation because that is the one thing that I've learned, especially in, in suicide mm -hmm. prevention. Like a lot of people don't like to ask the really hard questions, but I read a, there's a book by a Jerry Kalana called okay. Reboot, which is really big to me right now. I've been, I'm rereading it for like the third time. And he talks about um, excavating the wrecks of your life. And I realized that a lot of my, but he also talks about how you need to just ask very, very important questions to yourself. But the easiest question that you can ask is, how are you? And it, it's, and it's just about how you ask it. No, how are you? It's, it's about how you really are. And it's, it's, it comes from the Buddhist, the, it comes from the Buddhist side of things and, and business and he combines it all. But it's, it was just so simple that I never thought of it because you're always so scared or, you know, but I did hear something that somebody had said in a, it, and I, I, I don't remember who said this, but somebody said, why don't you just ask, are you thinking of hurting yourself or are you thinking of killing yourself? Because that is, that will shock most people out of anything. If, um, if they're in the, in the process right. of, 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 of being in crisis, it'll almost shock the system for a second. It's almost like a paddle to the heart that says, Whoa, yeah. wait a second. Why would you ask me that? Cause most people won't well, ask. Thing is, I don't know how you are with people, but I find a lot of times that I can read people very well. Like I can tell I've been in like yeah. to say a steward shop and it could just be a random person. I'll, I'll go up to them and say the same to you. Hey, you know, is everything okay with you? You having a good day? And, they, and the thing is, is that chance encounter that 15 seconds could make the difference in someone hurting themselves in any capacity you know i mean oh absolutely absolutely getting into an accident right. when so they I mean, leave stewards and, and they may not <laughs> notice it until later on in the day but they could be having a shitty day the end of their work day comes and they go wow this gentleman came up to me and steward didn't even know who i was but really say you know said you know that he cares you know and you know people want to be my 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 philosophy in life is everybody on this planet every human being wants to know that they are loved and they want to know that they that their right. life matters. That's all, you know. Right. They want to be heard. Exactly. They want to have a voice. And a lot of people. Right. That's right. Validation. And, and you know what? It, it's it's such a good feeling when you know you are loved, whether it's by your kids, your spouse, your life partner, whatever your 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 thing is. 
when you feel, when you get a hug from somebody or you get a handshake or, I mean, a hug is the best thing in the world. I'm a hugger. I love, you know, especially. Uh, yeah, I'm you a hugger I mean, too. I mean, I'm all my, too, you, man. yeah, Always all these my guy friends, you go up and it's just such a, it's just such an, an, uh, a feeling of, I don't, it's not euphoric, but it, man, it definitely puts you on a high. It's like, wow, man, that it's just that connection. I think that physical connection. Yeah, that's oh, yeah, exactly what it is. The serotonin, yeah, the serotonin levels definitely yeah. go up <laughs> for that. Oxytocin oh, levels go yeah. up, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, all of it, all those good levels go yeah. up. Yeah. Now, I, I, I want to touch on something real quick. Just rewind a bit because it's something that I have, um, I guess, encountered. But I've also, I feel like it's been a negative encounter for me. Like it's a, it's a big hurdle for me. Mm-hmm. As you said before, with your, um, you, you know, you don't have degrees or any of this stuff, and you have life experience. And with, you know, with my path, same thing. Uh, I mean, like I could have said what you said word for word, and I've tried to relay that to people, and I, and I, I guess I tried to do things that, um, you know, m- may require um, a degree or some fancy piece of paper. And so I, I feel like there's a little bit of a, uh, a discrimination against not having mm-hmm. that. And I, I guess the question would be, have you encountered that? And how do you overcome that, that kind of um, the feelings about it? Um, you know, honestly, I, I, I'm normally up front like I just was with you guys. And I, I use that spiel all the time when I'm talking about the foundation. And I come right out and tell people I don't have degrees. I'm, I'm very open and, and honest. And I never really had anyone say, well, I can't believe that you don't have a degree. Um, because I think if you're open and honest with people, especially when you're sharing things that are so close to your heart when you're dealing with mental health, as I just said to you, I mean, going through that gamut, any one of those things would be bad enough. But people, people, yeah, what, yeah. you can make that connection when you're having a conversation. What I've noticed on a lot of one, I have coffee with a lot of people. So people will reach out to me when we could and I'll meet people anywhere. I mean, I'll go to them. Hey, let's go have coffee. And if they don't open up right away, I start by saying, let me tell you a little bit about what I've been through. And I start my story. So as I start it, they give a little, you give a little more. They, get, they You have to get them to lower their guard. And the best way to do that is to explain where you're coming from. So if you come up and talk, okay. there's nothing wrong with, you know, people having degrees, I give everyone credit that went to college and that's the path you want to travel. That's fine. But my problem with psychologists, psychiatrists, is they talk at people. Okay. They're not, you know, they show you stats and graphs and, and I'm not saying it's all okay. I'm not, I'm not putting them in a generalized category, but normally that's what I hear for people, man, I'm laying on a couch and they're doodling on the pad. There's no, I'd rather sit with you, look directly in your eyes like we're doing now. And that way you see the react that's real. You can feel, when you talk to someone, you can feel their energy. You can feel what they're going through. If they're truly who they say they are, you can feel that energy. And you feed off it with that one-on-one or even in a group setting. You start feeding off, and that's where you get the people to come in. And I think without the degree, I don't hold any stock in degrees. I think you could talk about it. I think Tim could talk about it. I think I could talk about it just as good as Dr. Smith, Dr. Joe. doesn't matter because you can show statistics all you want. That turns people off. They want to hear, wow, this is what this guy's been through. Like my story, I call it rising from the ashes. I've been through all that shit, and I came out on the other end. And it was a fucking long road. And it took a lot of family support, a lot of friends support. I hurt a lot of people physically, mentally. I stepped on a lot of fucking people on my way. But you know what? When I got to where I am, and I know there's even a deeper purpose for me, I looked back and I went, wow. My friends are telling me, you're not even the same guy you were five years ago. I cannot believe the transfer. We're so proud of you. And that's what keeps me going because I'm going in the right direction. And I just want people to know that 
as bad as it can possibly get, there's always someone to reach out to. There's always a way out. You just have to seek out the help. You have to take that first step on your own. It has to be on you. I can't physically go to 1,500 people's houses and say, hey, you have a bad day. Hey, you have a bad day. Hey, it's not going to work. You need, you need Mrs. Jones to say, hey, Tim, you know what? I'm having a bad day. Do you mind talking? That's your opening. Now you got that little crap. Yeah, you know what? And just sit and listen for those first few minutes. Just take in what they're saying. And once they take that first deep breath, sort of like they, they let it out, then you go, okay, would you like me to give you any advice? Would you like to tell me, you know, tell you a little bit about myself? Or would you just like me to just sit here and listen to the rest of your story? Give them the option. Put it in their hands. Now they have control over everything. And they like when they can control that situation because someone's not telling them, you need to do this, you need to have medication, you need to, they don't want to be told what to do. I want to ask, um, the, Jay, uh, Jacques, you said that you, um, earlier you were talking about part of your recovery um, with the alcohol and, and, and the, the other drugs that you used. What, um, did you go through different, um, I guess, support groups or what? What was, a, if you could kind of pinpoint a turning point in that recovery, what, what, what do you think helped? Well, honestly, the, and it probably sounds like an old adage, I honestly got up one morning or one afternoon from partying pretty hard. And uh, I think I had, I don't know, I'd done maybe an eight ball of Coke and uh, I don't know how much liquor. I got up, I looked in the mirror, I just didn't like what I saw. Uh, I looked at and I just said, this is not me. I mean, I know where I came from. You know, uh, I look back, I have a vision of my mother comes back and I just looked at myself and I go, what the fuck are you doing? Like, wh wh this has got to end somewhere. So you have to do something. And I didn't use traditional. I actually did detox with family in my, in, in my home. So I didn't even go to the professional. I'm not a big fan of doctors. I just, I, I never have been. And it's funny because my brother is, is a doctor. Um, but no, I, you know, and when I tell people that, and if you, you've never witnessed it, you watch it in movies and it's one thing, let me tell you something. It is a personal hell when you go through detoxing from any type of drug. I mean, what you see on TV doesn't even touch the surface on what you go through. Um, and yes, it was, it's a, it was, it's a very long road, but again, it's one of those things I, I just reached out and just told my family and friend, look at, this is where I'm at. I mean, I was honest with my family. I've been honest with my son. I've been honest with everybody and said, listen. This is what's going on. I have a drug problem. I, I, I'm going down a bad path and I'm going to end up dead or in jail, one or the other. Do you have a favorite word or a least favorite word? Do I have a favorite word or least? Well, I, I hate the word hate. I don't like hate in any capacity. There's no reason that we need to hate anybody for any reason. I think it's too deep of a negative thought. I think you can dislike things, but I just don't like the word hate. I don't want to say that, you know, especially when your kids, I don't, I don't. And I lo love the word love. I think love and hate are the two most important words. Love shows a lot to a lot of people. You know, when you say something to someone, I love you. Hey, I love it. Depending, it doesn't matter which way I could say, Hey, I love you guys for having me on different concept. I say to my wife, Hey, love you, honey. Same. But again, it's just hearing that word. I think it, it love positivity, hate negativity. I think those are my, I would use those two. That's awesome. That's very cool. So I, this is my question because I'm an animal guy. Uh, I find animals to be very, very therapeutic, even though we don't have any currently because we just lost our last cat during the COVID thing. But are you dog, cat, or other? Well, I, I don't know if I told you that, but I, uh, my wife and I have five standard poodles. So 
Yes. Um, my wife. Yeah, actually, so you're a dog verse. Yeah. Well, I never used to be, but I'll tell you, we actually have, you know, she's, uh, started, uh, volunteering in the kennel years ago. She, she had a poodle when I met her. Pumbaa actually was her first dog. He actually had to be put down on Christmas Eve, the same year my dad passed. So it was a rough year for us. Uh, but we do have the grandmother, a mother, two litter mates, and we just kept another puppy. So, uh, and they are amazing dogs. Poodles are very highly intelligent. They always want to please. They want to be around you. But I just love sometimes just sitting on the couch, especially with my two girls, Lexi and uh, Karma. And they just come up and they sit on dad's lap, lick my face. And it's just, it's, it's such an endearing feeling. It's great. So I'd say dog. Good. All right. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Go ahead, Tim. Last question. Third question. What? If there was one thing that you could do for mental illness without any kind of restraints, what would it be? Build it into our education system so our children learn it at a young age and how to, how to take care of themselves and how to combat that and how to just be a part of making a difference in the mental health community. I think if we can establish that at a young age, like we do everything else, if we can teach racism and we can teach bias and hate, why can't we teach them about mental health and what goes into, you know, the gamut of mental health? Boom. <laughs> I like it. Man, man up, not shut up. That's it is. well said. You just, you just preached Tim's that Bible means, right there. That's man. it, man. <laughs> man up, not shut up. Thank you so much for being a part of the show, man. No, uh, we appreciate it so much. Well, enjoy the thank rest of your weekend, Thank you so much, guys. man. Have a great day. Yeah, you as well. Thank you for joining us. Above Ground Podcast is in no way intended to be a substitute for professional help in any manner or degree. We are not therapists, doctors, or professionals in the medical field. These are the opinions and experiences of two individuals just like you, our peers, who live with mental illness and all of its conditions. If you or anyone you know are experiencing a mental health crisis, please go to your nearest emergency room, call 911, or you can call the National Suicide Hotline 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. 8255. Be well, be safe, be above.